Today, we are going to be hearing a message from a member of our church here named Ken Budd. Uh, Ken has been attending uh, Celebrate Recovery fairly regularly for quite a while now. And uh, I, just, I just recently uh, began to get to know him a little bit, and I, I've discovered that he is, he's a very interesting person. He's a really cool guy. And um, if you have yet to meet Ken, today is a great day to do so. And, uh, yeah, thank you for sharing with us today, Ken. Uh, Get up here. (laughs) Thanks, Eric. Good morning. Um, Hey, there we go. (laughs) There's some enthusiasm there. Um, I am truly grateful to be here this morning and, and get to share with you uh, what God has really put on my heart. Um, it's, a, it's just a thrill to, to talk to and actually put faces to all the people that I've really been praying for this week um, as I've been preparing for this, uh, preparing for this message. Um, and I also like to thank um, Pastor Dale for just extending the, uh, the offering for me to come up here and, and share with you. Um, for those that don't know me, just a, just a little bit of background. I, my, name is, my name is Ken Budd. I, I am in recovery. I go to the best place that there is to be on a Thursday night, and that's at Celebrate Recovery. Um, if I can't be there, uh, it's because that's something that just really happened that really kept me from going. So it's one, of the, it's, it's one of those little nuggets that God has showed me and has really uh, extended another family to me. Um, and I also wanted to say uh, thank you to Lighthouse for being so gracious to me as I'm, uh, as I'm coming as a, as a guest speaker. It's, it's really, truly um, means a lot to me. Uh, as is customary... We start off with a question, and so uh, today's, uh, today's question is, can you give an example of how your life has been impacted by someone's love for you? Good morning. My name is Jason, I'm 148 days sober. Hey, Jason. Wow. All right. Might get emotional about this one, but I would have to say the biggest impact is my is my mom. She's uh, yeah, she's always been there through the worst and the brightest and everything in between. And our our faith grew together here at Lighthouse um, a couple years ago. We've been coming here, and an apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. I told her when she was first walking with the Lord that you gotta calm down. You're, you're getting a little ridiculous. She had pages of books everywhere. And I'm like, you really got to get it together. And so now I'm the same, but worse. And so I just, Mom, I love you. And just thank you for always hanging in with me. Thanks, Jason. Uh, I'd have to say uh, my first sponsor, he 
really gave it up as far as time is concerned. He just was always there. Uh, I could call him. Uh, he had other things to do, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and we weren't, we didn't have a lot in common uh, as far as interest and such as that. We, I tried going, uh, what is it, uh, treasure seeking with him one time. Uh, my arm was messed up for about two weeks, so that that just that little lightweight just tore my arm up. I don't know. So we didn't have much interest, but he invested a lot of time in me, and I hope someday that I can do as well for my sponsees and and spend and not uh, back away and let them do their own thing and uh, spend more time with them. So, thank you. Um, my name is my name is Aaron. Uh, I would say uh, one example of a time that my life was impacted by someone's love was uh, the first time I was brought here to Lighthouse. Um, I I came you know less than 24 hours out from a very long binge and. Uh, uh, Basically, I had just gotten honest with what was going on in my life, and uh, I was really not happy to be brought to a church uh, in that in that exact moment. I was not expecting. Uh, I was expecting a lot of uh, a lot of rebuking and things like that. Um, but after after I told them everything that was going on, all of my issues. Um, they they shared some resources with me. Uh, they invited me back, which was <laughs> astonishing to me. And um, uh, then when when all was said and done, before they sent me out the door, they shared a prayer with me. And um, not something that I was expecting or really ready for, but uh, that was a very impactful moment. And uh, it did keep me coming back. And... Um, yeah, Lighthouse has really, really changed my life for the better because of that. Thanks, Aaron. Good morning, everybody. Um, you know, there was just many, many times in my life where I was completely alone. And it's, it's very emotional, but... I really only had God's love at that point. He's the only person, or that person, he's not a person. His love is the only thing that got me through those nights, sleeping under the bridge right here in town. So I don't, I don't see love as in the human form so much anymore because those days I didn't think I was going to make it, and I did only because he had my back. So. Thank you. Anybody else? I'm sure we got one more that would love to share something. Hello, I'm Galen. Uh, example of how 
my life's been impacted by someone's love. Back when I was in high school and graduating, uh, my sister invited me to stay with her uh, a few summers, and uh, she was able to pour a lot of a lot of God of God's love into my life because at that time I didn't really have any real direction. Uh, uh, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I mean, I I knew I was a Christian, but I didn't really know what that looked like, how that was supposed to to how, how I was supposed to feel, basically. Um, she was able to share uh, some of the the deeper insights uh, into um, into what what Jesus did for for me specifically. Um, one of the best examples I've had was. Uh, when I was asking her, well, what was it like? You know, I mean, you know, I, I, like, I think the metaphors a lot. So I was like, we were at the swimming pool, and I was like, okay, so, so Jesus' sacrifice is basically like, I'm sitting there, I'm floundering around in the deep end, and he jumps in and pulls me out, saves me, and asks me to follow him. And she's like, not quite. It's more like you've drowned, and you were laying on the bottom of the pool. He jumps in, pulls you out, brings you back to life, and then asks you to follow him. And that, that change uh, really made a lot of difference in my life. Thanks. Let's, uh, yeah, thank you for sharing all those. I, I really appreciate that. And that's, that's kind of what we're going to talk about today is, is, is love and God's love. Um, before we get started, um, there is a... What's also a little customary is just sharing a little story. And how many here have ever bargained with God? I think, I think everybody has kind of bargained with him a time or two. And, and you know, I, I bargained with God and, and I asked him, I said, God, is it true that your Bible says that uh, in your word that it says that a day is, is like a thousand years? And he says, yeah, yeah, that's true. Like, huh. So then I thought I could pull a fast one on him and said, Well, is it also true that a penny is like a million dollars? He says, Well, yeah, yeah, I guess so. I said, Can I have a penny? He said, Give me a day to think about it. So, <laughs> still waiting. Anyway, just kidding. Um, we've been going through uh, the book of 1 John and and First John, there's you know just some of the background of what was going on at the time and what this letter was really and who it was really written to is it was written to the church uh, that was really dealing with some some teachings that were coming out that weren't necessarily correct and they were causing some division within the church and some of those some of those disagreements and some of those divisions that were taking place is is people were saying that while well, Jesus didn't come in the flesh, uh, some other people may have said, well, Jesus isn't really the Son of God. And so, so John, he, he's like, well, we need, to, we need to address these things. So he, he starts to write these letters to the church. And, and what you'll see, and you've kind of heard over the last few weeks, is a lot of compare and, and contrasting, where where he, uh, he compares light with darkness and truth with falsehood, um, righteousness with sin. 
And then he also, he also compares and contrasts the love for God versus the love for the world. And, you know, we all kind of know where that, where that goes, that love for God and love for the world. And, and he kind of outlines, you know, hey, this is the reason why I'm really wanting, wanting you to know these truths. And he says, so that you can have fellowship with one another. And he also says, you know, that you can also have fellowship with God, the Father, and God, the Son. And then, most importantly, um, so that you can know for sure and have that assurance that you have eternal life in Jesus Christ. And so he wrote those things specifically for that to really address, to really address those three things. And, you know, we're going to kind of go through some of that and discuss some of this stuff and, and really see how does that really apply, apply to us. And, it's, and so in 1 John uh, chapter 3, verse, beginning at verse 11, it says, This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil, and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal, eternal life within them. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God, even if we feel guilty. God is greater than our feelings, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence, and we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. And this is the commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. And the, um, so in verse 11, it talks, it says, it, it reminds us that love has been one of the central themes from the beginning. It says, this message you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. That's the central theme of all of it. In fact, God is love. And everything and every attribute of God stems from that love. Everything. God's righteousness, his holiness, and it all comes and is rooted in love. And so as we look at that, we, we, we can apply some of these things. And Aaron, um, in his prayer today, you know, he touched on some of these things, how how we as a, as a family, how we come together and we come together in love and we show many signs of, of family 
here at Lighthouse or whatever church you belong to, we show that there's that family atmosphere. And what I mean by that is when, when we're sad, what do we do? We mourn with each other. And when we're happy, we rejoice with one another. And if there's a problem with somebody, we're, we're, we walk alongside of them through struggles and through pain. And sometimes families have difficulties. And sometimes families have disagreements. And we even, we even work through those things and struggle through those things because that's what community does. We're all, we all bring our mess uh, to everywhere we go. And we get to, and we get to live life and, and be messy together. And so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of look at Cain and Abel because they were the very first, or the, they were the offspring of the very first dysfunctional marriage and very first dysfunctional family. So we're going to kind of go and we're going to talk a little bit about Cain and Abel and what, what really happened because First John, what does John do? He brings up Cain and Abel and he's using them as a specific example in what, uh, in what love isn't and, and what happens when we don't love. And so as we look at Cain, we, we, we see a couple things with Cain and Abel and and, you know, Adam and Eve, we kind of know what happened with those two. Um, Eve ate of the fruit, gave it to Adam. Adam ate it. They fell. And, and God said, hey, um, you can't stay in this garden. And you're going to be toiling the ground. And, and there, was, there, was, there was consequences to what took place that day. And they suffered those consequences. And so later down the road, they have two sons together, Cain and the other son, Abel. And Cain, he ends up, as he grows up, he becomes a farmer. He starts growing crops, things like that. And then you got Abel, who becomes a shepherd, or I, I guess in modern times, you can call him a rancher. Um, you know, but he had a, but he was, he becomes a shepherd. And, and as they kind of, as they kind of focus on their, their career, their career paths, um, they come before God to give him offerings. And Cain, what, it, what does he do? He comes and he brings some of his, his grain, some of his crops to God. And then Abel, when he comes to God, he comes to God with, with, the, um, with the fat portions of the firstborn of the sheep that he had. So he gave the firstborn that he had. And when you, when you start thinking about that, it's like, hmm, well, God, he, he liked what Abel did. He says, hey, with Abel, I, I liked that. But with Cain, I didn't, I didn't like that as much. And so what happens is, is Cain sees that and he gets mad. And it actually says that he gets angry. And when he gets angry, uh, in, the, in, in Scripture, it says he looked dejected. And when he looked dejected, what did that mean? It, it means that... He was depressed. He was sad. He was sad by what was happening there. And he was trying to make sense of it, I'm sure. And that's kind of where we're, we're left off in this, this story of Cain and Abel. And really what we're going to talk about is resentment. And we're going to see how this resentment with Cain drew, drew something from him that boiled up and ended up harming another person. And in fact, killing another person. And so 
In Genesis chapter 4, verse 6, it says, why are you so angry? So God comes up to Cain, and, he, and he's talking to him, and he says, why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain, why do you look so dejected? Why do you look so depressed? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. One day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the fields, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Um, so we see the story unfold here. And, and if you're just reading this story normally, you'd, you wouldn't think a whole lot of it. You know, you're like, well, what really did happen here? Because there's not a lot of detail of why Cain um, is not, his offering wasn't accepted. And there's not a lot of detail here of what's going on. So we need to kind of look and what really happened. And as we dive in, we see that the offerings. It says that Cain gave some, just some of his crops. Where Abel, he gives the first, firstborn of his, of his sheep. So we kind of see a difference in the offering here of what Abel gives God and what Cain gives God. Abel gives God just... You know, he gives him the firstborn. In other words, if he was only going to have four sheep that year and he gives the firstborn, he's not going to get much in return based on that offering. In fact, he's going to give a lot more. And where Cain, he's just giving some of his things. You know, so there's some heart things that are going on behind the scenes with Cain. And, and he's, he starts to look at his brother. And especially when God, God says, hey, I, I accept what, this, what Abel has done. He looks at his brother and he gets, the scripture says he gets angry at him. He gets mad. And so as we look at this, God confronts him. And so as we see God confront Cain, it's, this isn't a matter about Cain not believing in God. Obviously he does because he's sitting there talking to God face to face. He believes in God. And so the beliefs isn't the question. What's a question is, is what was in his heart. Did he truly trust him? Did he truly throw that trust upon him? And so Cain is obviously wrestling with, with this, and he's wrestling with something that's in his heart that's deep within him. And so as he's wrestling, you know, God comes and he, and he's, and he makes an analogy, and he says that sin is crouching at the door. It's, it's crouching. And, you know, so he gives this kind of image, imagery of, of something that's crouching. And what I think of is I think of something like a, like a tiger or a panther. And what does it do? It sits there waiting. It sits there waiting and it crouches and it waits for the right time. And what does it do? Boom, it pounces you. And that's what, that's what God is forewarning Cain. He says, hey, you know, just do what is right. You know, sin is crouching at the door, it's waiting for you. And then he goes on to say, subdue it. You gotta subdue it. And as he's talking about that subduing, what he's saying is, Cain, you need to take this by force. You can't just let this fester in you. You need to, get, you need to be active, actively involved and take it and subdue it. Because if you don't, it's gonna control you. It's gonna master you and it's gonna drive you crazy. And we know that's exactly, that's, that's exactly what happens. It, it, it takes him and it totally consumes him. 
And that's what resentment does to us. As we, as we allow that resentment to sit within our hearts, it begins to fester and it begins to consume. And what, and, and what we see here is sin start to, start to one thing leaves to, to another. There's a saying, sin gives birth to sin. And, and yeah, when I do bad things, if I do something bad, it's easier for me to do that bad thing again. And it gets easier and easier and easier and easier. And that's what we see begin to happen, just getting easier and easier. And we see it all the time. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it when I, when I in, in, in the pits of, of darkness that I've lived through, I've seen it, where, where sin and addiction and all these things, you just see that epitome and that hopelessness of where it leads. And we'll see that in resentments, because what does resentments do? Resentments keep us from that love. It, 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 it's like a wall that just comes up, and it's, and it's, hard, to, it's hard to love because it, because it builds up the wall, and it festers, in it and, it, and it pushes it away. So Cain, he's, he's filled with rage. And what does he do? He, he goes to his brother, and it's, and it's all premeditated. Hey, why don't we go out to the field? Well, the fields probably, hey, let's go look at some of my crops, Abel. Let's go take a look at some of these and see how great they are. And then he kills them. And if you look in the, in the Hebrew, it, it actually means that he butchered him, that he slaughtered him. Um, so Cain killed his brother and, and, and butchered him just as Abel would have done for the sacrifice that he made for God, for his animals. But Cain did the same thing to him and butchered him and killed him. And so we see the full epitome of this resentment that starts boiling up within, within Cain. And we see how it overtakes it. And, and one thing that it shows us is what sin is. And it points to sin as being this force. It's like this force that, that begins to just creep in and subdue us. It's, a, it's like a, this unknown power. And left to our own devices, it just begins to control and consume. And we begin to fall farther and farther away from God. Even though we may have conversations with them like Cain had with God. We could still slip away. And because these things, this hate in our lives, just build up and take control. Um, so when we see when we see these things and we see how, how sin begins to build, it's like a habit. And, you know, habits, when we have habits in our lives, um, there's, if I can control it, it's, it's a habit. You know, I can stop at any time. I can take it and just take it or leave it. And that's how it used to be with me, with whatever I was stuck on. Um, I, I could just take it or leave it in my younger years. And then what ends up happening is that habit, if you see the habit is controlling you, then it becomes this addiction. So now it, the tables turn, and now the habit has complete control. And so the addiction begins to take its toll. And then once the habit, habits are part of a mental activity, but addiction is part of a mental stability. And we see everything break down, perceptions of how we see things, Perceptions of how we perceive the world in viewing of myself and me viewing the world. 
things begin to break down and we see this cloud come over us. And we see a difference between this light and darkness. But here's the biggest note that I, that I would like to relay to you about this whole situation here. Is that with Cain, he didn't just hate Abel because of what Abel did and Abel's righteous acts. He didn't hate him just for that. He hated him because of what was being exposed in his heart. So Cain hated Abel because of what Abel's righteous acts exposed in himself. It brought out something in Cain, that good that his brother was doing was bringing something out that he just could not deal with. And he just built up those walls. And inevitably, he killed his brother. And we see the same thing happened with Jesus. Everybody, you know, one week before the death of Christ, when he died on the cross, everybody in Jerusalem is, yeah, you know, and they're throwing the big party as he's coming in on Palm Sunday. And a week later, they're crucifying him. And why? Because the righteousness of Christ brought out some of those things in, in people, and they just, couldn't, they just couldn't deal with it. The other thing that, as we look at this scripture, you know, we see that, that resentment, but we also see um, this, this other um, roadblock, and, and what that is is shame and guilt. And as we look at this shame and guilt, we see that, uh, we see that shame and guilt, they can, be, they can be powerful motivators for change. You know, in fact, it's, it's perfectly normal to have shame and guilt in our lives. It's perfectly normal because... You know, as my pain threshold changes, um, you know, if, if, I'm, if I'm using or, or drinking or whatever, I got a pretty high pain tolerance. But eventually, shame and guilt and the things and the consequences of my action, they begin to take over. And it's like, okay, I need to do something. Something needs to change here. And usually it's a big wake-up call from God. And he says, okay, this is what you need to do. And, and we see that with shame and guilt. And... and so if we look at verse 19, it says, our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God, even if we feel guilty. And here, what they're talking about, or what John is talking about, is that as I'm developing my life, learning to love others, that's going to expose something in me. Something's going to be exposed in me that I might not like. And whatever is getting exposed in me, what I can be consumed with my own guilt of what I've done wrong. It can literally consume me. And I can be so consumed with my guilt, I develop this, this shame that overtakes me and overshadows me. And as that shame, that shame overshadows me, what does it do? It, it teaches me to hate, but not you, me. It teaches me to hate myself. And it's that self-hate, and, and, and we see it quite often. And a lot of times, the only way to ex- escape that is through, through some other means. If we're, not, if we're not part of God, if we're not pursuing him, we pursue it elsewhere and finding a way to escape from those feelings. I've struggled with self-hate. I struggled with my entire life, self-hate. I struggled with shame, my entire life, I've struggled with it. And it's a, um, I didn't like the way I looked. I didn't like the way I talked. I didn't like, uh, 
I didn't like much about myself. On the outside, I was confident as ever, but if you heard the words that I would say to myself in private, you'd be astonished of how I talked to myself. I did not know how to properly talk to myself. I had no idea how to show proper grace to who I was as a person. And in fact, if I would have treated anybody the way I treated myself, I would have been very, very lonely. Because the way I treat my, and there's a saying, be hard on yourself and tough on others. Um, But that's gotta be taken within certain contexts. You can't beat up yourself consistently. It just doesn't work. Because you're gonna lose. Your biggest audience is you. You know, the biggest voice in your head is yours. And it shouts sometimes. And if if we give power to that voice, it can consume us with self-hate and drive us away from the very love that we need. So, you know, I've lived my entire, like I touched on, I've lived my entire life struggling with that self-hate. There was a, there was a time in my life where um, I had, we had moved to a different state, my whole, my, myself and my whole family. I took on a different job. I was actually a, I was, I was a lay pastor in Montana, I moved, uh, moved into Minnesota, and my whole life was up in the air. It was a whirlwind. And as, as things began to, to snowball out of control through this move and everything else, my son, my oldest boy, he struggled with mental illness. My, um, my, my dad passed away two weeks later. My father-in-law passed away. And I was at the end of my rope. I felt like I was at the end of my rope. It was like if, if what else can go wrong, which there could have been a lot of things go wrong, but I was at a point to where, what do I do? And all that self-hate and all of those things that were driving me came to a boiling point. And I, and, and I believe that this was from God. And I, one night, I went into, my, went into my office and laid down on my bed, and I, and I thought, why am I so hard on myself? I go to bed every night saying things that I should not say to myself. Why do I do this? And I went back to every painful point in my life. I went, I closed my eyes, and I just imagined every pain, and there were quite a few of them. And I went back to every single painful area in my life where it was traumatic, And I went back as an adult of who I am now, and I stood beside myself as a child of how I was dealing with things then. And I talked to myself, and I said, it's going to be okay. Put my hand on my shoulder and said it was going to be okay. And I did it for each, each instance of pain. And at the end of that experience, it was the first time in my life that I ever cried without sobbing uncontrollably. Is the tears just came and they just flowed. And I've, I've, never, I've never experienced anything like that before, um, but I hope to again. But the tears flowed and it was like a, like a release, a valve finally released. And you know what? I didn't have to hate myself because I'm not to blame for those things. I know that there's, there's it's just like what Paul says in Romans. You know, I do... I do what I don't do, and what I do, 
I can't even get that right. I do what I don't do, and what I do is a sin that lives within me. You know, it's that struggle, that constant struggle of the good and the bad sitting on your shoulder talking in. And so there was a release, and there was an actual healing that took place. And we see that, that God began to really change, change me from that point. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 30, 31, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. And there's two things to take away from this. First of all, you know, as we love, God is first. I love God. I mean, he loved me first. You know, he's, he, I, he loved me first. It was, it was all about him loving me. But the second one is this. It says, it pretty much says, the love your neighbor as yourself. It really says this. My capacity to love you lies in direct proportion to my ability to love myself. So I'm going to say that one more time. My capacity to love you lies in direct proportion to my ability to love myself. And that's a really, that's really, really important that as we learn to grow and as we learn to struggle through all these things within our lives, that we learn that practice of showing grace to ourselves, showing love to ourselves. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we see that, that it's through what Christ did for us and he is, the, he is the pinnacle of love. And so as we see that, we also see in John 3, 16, that God gave. It wasn't, it wasn't just some nonchalant action, but he gave of himself. He gave of his son. So as we look, um, we look to what Jesus did on the cross, we see that this whole chapter and this whole book as it talks about love, it talks about a specific kind of love. And what it talks about is agape love. And agape love is different. It's just a different type of love. And what that is, is it, it's not about feeling. It's not about emotions. But although emotions and feelings can be part of it, it's about doing. And um, if you go back in one of, in um, Micah, I believe it's chapter six, verse eight, it says, uh, you know, seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. You know, to love mercy, to do, to do things. It's about action. And God does that. And as he, as he does that, as he shows us what to do, and as he, as he steps in, he does the ultimate. He sends his son. So God, in, in himself, sends his own son to truly show us what love is. So as we, as we look at it, we see, um, we see that as we, as we kind of embrace this love and as we, as we look to God's love, we know that it's a completely selfless love. And try and find it here.
So there's a gentleman by the name of uh, John MacArthur, and he, um, he kind of talks about agape, agape love, and he says this. He says, agape love centers on the needs and welfare of the one loved and will, and will pay whatever personal price is necessary to meet that need. That's true agape love. You have a need, and the price that will pay will look at whatever's necessary to meet it. And that's what Jesus does. He steps in to meet that need through his love. So as we, as we come to a close on God's love and what he does, we don't, everybody, we all have a little bit of Cain in us, but we don't have to let those resentments fester. We don't have to let them, let them control us. So, so my challenge to you is think about it. Think about those resentments that, that may sneak in, that may control you, that may seek to master you. And how can you get rid of them? Who, who can you walk beside to help you rid yourself of those, to walk with you? And there's a little story that kind of points to this, why it's important to walk beside someone, to allow someone to speak into your life that, whose voice can be a little bit louder than your voice. And there's a story that last year at the Aquatics Championship in Budapest, Anita Alvarez, who was competing in the competition, she was just finishing up her routine, and she fainted and sank to the bottom of the pool. Her coach was sitting by watching the lifeguards to see if they were going to jump in after her. The lifeguards sat there, unsure if they should jump in, and they were hesitating. The coach immediately thought, I'm going to go in after her and jumps in, swims to the bottom of the pole, wraps her arm or arms around her, pushes off the bottom, and brings Anita to the top and saves her life. The reason why the coach knew to dive in was because she knew Anita. She trained with her. She knew how Anita trained. And she knew that when Anita sank to the bottom of that pole, she knew that that was not normal. And she jumped in. The other people didn't know. They didn't see it. The lifeguards didn't see it, but, but her coach did and jumped in and saved her. And that's why we have mentors. That's why we have sponsors that, that can speak a little bit louder than us in our lives. Secondly, if, um, you know, think about how you talk to yourself. What are the words that you say to yourself? Are they kind? Are they rude? Are they vicious? Even the smallest things, when we call ourselves a big dummy or whatever, even those things can be harmful because it only takes one little wrong act and it just begins to snowball. So we could do it with a light heart, but it can still have an impact. And then also, lastly, think about your actions. As we see the actions of what Christ has done for us, we too extend those actions to other people. We love unconditionally. We all make mistakes. We're the, we're the messiest bunch. And you know what? It's good. It's good that we are messy. Be, why? Because we're fun. We have fun. We have joy and thanksgiving. And we practice those things together.